Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. To my loyal bed crimers, happy Sunday. I hope you guys are doing great. To anyone new, welcome to my channel. We do all things true crime. And let me just ask you that if after listening to or watching this video, you find that you enjoyed it, and or learned something from it, please hit that like button. Now let's dig in. As the case of the four Idaho students heads into its third week, and still no one has been arrested or charged for the brutal crime, the remaining residents of Moscow, Idaho, remain fearful and uneasy. 50% of the student body departed before the Thanksgiving break, and a local tattoo shop owner is now offering to check residents' homes before they close their doors for the night. Let's hope that guy's been thoroughly checked out by the cops. Kidding, but, you know, not kidding. I mean, it's a nice gesture, and he probably is a great guy, but yeah, he should probably be checked out before you say, yeah, come and check out my house. Okay, moving on. Speaking of tattoos, one surviving roommate has gotten inked in honor of her deceased friends. Under a photo of her new angel wings, which boast the beginning letter of each victim's name, the roommate wrote, Maddie, Kaylee, Zanna, Ethan, M-K-X-E, love you always and forever. End quote. I'm going to leave that person's name out of the discussion to avoid unnecessary speculation. Moving on to the timeline, the investigators are now saying that all four students returned home by 2 a.m. on the night of the crime. They'd said earlier that all four students arrived home by 1.45 a.m., but we now know without a shadow of a doubt that Kaylee Gonsalves and Maddie Mogan arrived back at their rental home at exactly 1.56 a.m. That information comes from digital evidence. The authorities are also now stating that the two surviving roommates also went out in Moscow on Saturday night, and they returned home by 1 a.m., Previously, the authorities had been saying that they had both been out of town that day. Now they're saying that they were both on the town in Moscow Saturday night. As for who's been ruled out, the police department is now using the language ruled out as suspects, and I quote, for the time being. Key here is the wording for the time being. This means that if additional evidence is found, the police could later declare any one of these individuals a suspect. Being cleared for the moment doesn't mean being cleared forever. Those that are currently cleared are the two surviving roommates, other people who were in the house when the 911 call was made on Sunday around noon, the person who drove Kaylee and Maddie home that night, the guy in the white hoodie 
from the grub bus surveillance footage and Kaylee's ex-boyfriend, 26-year-old Jack D. The Idaho State Police have also stated that investigators will not reveal details on why they believe the victims were targeted in order to protect the probe. Here's what Aaron Snell, a spokesperson for the Idaho State Police, said about that particular detail, and I quote, And so if we just provide information to the public, I don't think that's going to be a wise choice, end quote. So the authorities apparently have strong reason to believe the victims were targeted, but they aren't going to let us know that information. Note that the vernacular has changed now from one person being targeted to all the victims being targeted. Well, that's at least the vernacular that was used in the article that I read today in The Independent. So I don't know if they're quoting a police source, but they definitely said victims, plural, were targeted. That's very interesting. And I think that's important because we had six people in that house when the crime was committed. Two of them are still alive, and nobody really seems to know why. Their doors were locked. Did that prevent the perpetrator from getting to them? Did the perpetrator not know about those two bedrooms on the lowest level? Or did the perpetrator deliberately spare those two people because he, she, or they had a vendetta against the four students who were harmed. To me personally, it feels like those four individuals were targeted and were harmed deliberately. They were chosen, and that's the only reason the two surviving roommates are still around. Moving on to what 20-year police veteran and professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, Joseph Giacalone, told Fox News are the three key missteps in this investigation. First, he's saying that investigators have given out too much information. Giancalone criticized the Latte County coroner, Kathy Mabbitt, for telling several media outlets after she performed the autopsies that the crime was personal Mabbitt also revealed to the public that the students were found in their beds and were likely sleeping when attacked. This chatty coroner also let the world know what type of object was used to harm the students. Gian Colone said, and I quote, It was not only surprising, but aggravating. It's not her place to investigate this thing on TV and speculate, end quote. The second key controversy in the handling of the investigation has been Moscow Police Chief James Fry's initial assessment that there was no ongoing threat to the community. Fry said that three days after the students were discovered deceased. He later backtracked that comment, telling Moscow residents to remain vigilant and cautious of their surroundings. Giancolone said, and I quote, 
They don't have a suspect, and they still don't have a motive. So until you have those two extremely vital pieces, you can't set the public's mind at ease, end quote. And we know from the Moscow police that they don't have a suspect and they don't have the weapon. But I personally do not believe the police will tell us at this point anyway whether or not they've unearthed a motive. I suspect that would be information they would want to hold tight to the vest. Note that on this past Wednesday, Moscow police said that the crime scene had been expanded to cover the parking lot. But a day before that, the Idaho State Police spokesperson told the independent newspaper that was not the case and that the boundary tape had been moved because, and I quote, detectives needed extra space to work, end quote. So we've got this small Moscow police department saying one thing, and the larger, maybe more experienced Idaho State Police saying another. Another retired NYPD officer, Herman Weisberg, told Fox News that even if the Moscow Police Department is swamped with requests for information from media outlets, the integrity of the investigation must remain the top priority. Weisberg said, and I quote, I personally cringe when I see the media and the public's demands for information outweigh the need to preserve the integrity of the investigation. End quote. Guys, I think we can all agree that while we're hungry for information on this case, the police have a duty to the victims and their families to keep key information under lock and key. This doesn't mean that sleuths should stop investigating. It just means that the authorities need to know what they can share publicly without compromising the investigation. I suspect that the coroner, Kathy Mabbitt, is simply not seasoned on these types of cases. The last time they had a red rum, as I like to say, was back in 2015. Mabbitt isn't working in a place like New York City, where stuff like this happens on a regular basis. Someone should have probably pulled her aside before she spoke to anyone and told her what exactly she could share. So I don't think all the blame should be loaded on this lady who isn't used to doing this kind of thing all the time. That's just my opinion. All right, well, that's it for now. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories, do me a favor, hit that like button, subscribe, leave me a comment, and let's have a nice chat in those comments.